listening to highlights from One Planet Podcast interview with Alice Schmidt, global sustainability consultant and author of The Sustainability Puzzle. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. Well, I mean, I know it sounds a bit cheesy, but I actually was into sort of environmental protection, recycling clubs, etc. already when I was a child. And I actually founded yeah, an environmental protection club, a social sort of justice club. And, and so that was with me early on. But then I did go down the much more traditional, conventional business journey. And it wasn't until I had my first job with a fast moving consumer goods company or two, in fact, so Coca-Cola was one and then there was another one focusing on sort of household uh, wear and both times I wasn't too sure if me now investing all my energy and skills into selling more of a product that is nice to have but perhaps not absolutely essential such as you know a carbonated soft drink or a dishwashing detergent was really how I wanted to spend my future and I was trying to see how I could use this sort of communications, marketing, influencing skill set for selling, so to speak, something that really made a difference socially and also environmentally. And that's how I also got working with the United Nations, who were basically offering a product, if you want to call call it that, which was much closer to my heart. And I I didn't want to just help a big company make more money by selling a lot of stuff that people may not need, but actually trying to influence government and other stakeholders into adopting policies, products, essentially, that would really make the world a better place. And cities are places of extremes, right? They bring in all these people, they bring in all this waste. It's all about pollution, but at the same time, there are places, hubs of opportunity. And so if you want to understand what the world's biggest problems are, just look to any city, we will see them. But we will also see the amazing possibilities we have. I mean, cities are talent hubs, cities concentrate wealth, of course. Sometimes people talk about the urban advantage even, right, when it comes to international development, so that people living in cities are healthier and and wealthier and better educated. That's true to an extent, not always, by the way. The city of the future that I envisage is clearly a very green city. It's a city where we don't have individual transport, where we have only public transport. It's a city where people walk, where people ride bicycles, where we hear birds, where we use natural methods of keeping temperatures low. It's also a place where people, even though cities, of course, are big, people feel more of this communal identity than they perhaps do so now, living in sort of concrete jungles. And I also think that cities perhaps more more than now are providing a continuum to the countryside. They will continue to see large concentrations of people, but they also will be connected more to what's happening in the countryside in terms of agriculture. Of course, urban gardening will be a feature much more so than it is today of cities. I think power clearly will be coming from renewable sources. I'd like to mention also that the IPCC, the International Panel on Climate Change, the UN Climate Council, so to speak, is actually seeing cities, sustainable cities, as the one beacon of hope when it comes to sustainability in in his recent report just a couple of weeks ago that looked at impacts. We saw that impacts are perhaps even harder to to adjust to. Resilience is harder to create than we actually thought, but the one big opportunity really is in cities. And so I really think we need to harness that.
A lot of initiatives are have picked that up, but I think much more needs to happen. And I love writing. And one of the things I recently have been writing more about is this connection between health and cities, because health is so fundamental to us and perhaps more than before now with the pandemic. I think what's very important to remember is that we're not saving the planet, right? We're not saving the environment. Yes, we can protect it, but we don't do this for the environment's sake or for the planet's sake. We do this for our very own sake, for our own to maximize basically our health, wealth and well-being. And for the longest time, not living in cities so much, actually, we have been able to do that by using and almost abusing the resources that the planet provides. But we've now come to a point where our own behavior is actually meant that planet cannot provide for us in the same way that it used to. And so it's really high time we recognize this fundamental link between health, wealth and well-being and say environmental protection. Private sector clearly is an important part of the problem, but it's also an essential part of the solution. And I think these days you wouldn't find that many people arguing against public-private collaboration. So I think it's kind of quite well known that in order to solve the world's biggest problems, many of which are wicked problems, you can't, which actually can't just be solved, you can address them somehow. But if they were easy, they would be uh, solved already. So we all need to work together. Together. That's, I think, pretty clear. The private sector with audiences or in stakeholder groups, such as the UN, NGOs, civil society, is often seen as this sort of alien beast almost, right? Everybody knows my work with NGOs. I see that people know they need to work with the private sector, but it's often not quite understood what the private sector actually is. And of course, the private sector needs to be broken down into the large multinationals, which are hugely powerful, whose turnovers might be larger than entire country's GDPs or their staff sizes might be larger than entire country's population. I'm just thinking of Walmart with 2 million employees, for example. And so this power of the multinationals, of large multinationals, also vis-a-vis -vis governments and in terms of making it harder for governments to regulate them is clearly something that needs to be addressed. Yeah, Taxation, right, is something that these large companies sometimes quite successfully evade in often very legal ways. And if they were paying the same share, the same sort of fair share in taxes that individuals or small companies pay, we would be in a totally different situation in terms of having money available to address those large social environmental problems we're facing in the world. This is a great keyword here. I mean, societal progress. What is societal progress? I think for the last 50, 70 years, I mean, clearly in the post-World War II period, we have been thinking of economic growth and have been equating that with societal progress. And to an extent, of course, that's right. To an extent, we need this economic growth to lift people out of poverty. But at some point, we've kind of lost the reasoning. We have been following only this economic growth paradigm measured by the, the GDP the gross domestic product and we have forgotten that it measures many things but it doesn't actually measure progress it doesn't measure how healthy people are how educated they are how clean the environment is how safe it is how secure it is and interestingly even Simon Kuznets a guy who, who conceptualized this GDP knew this but it somehow happened and I'm not saying the GDP is a measure that we shouldn't be using it has its values clearly but it shouldn't be the only measure that we are focusing on 
on and there are some countries and some cities also have set alternative goals or additional goals. I feel personally that there was a time around five to 10 years ago when a lot of people were talking about this, there were a lot of initiatives and I feel this has sort of died on a little bit, but it's still there. This Bhutan is still mentioned a lot as a country with an alternative framework to measure progress, namely the gross national happiness, which is very much built on these indicators that cover what I've just said, education, healthcare and housing and security and community. So it, it's clearly also about making people understand that we're not asking anyone to lead a life that's worse than the life that they've been leading before. It's just changing to a much fuller realization of what's actually good for you. And it's a difficult position because we, who are we to tell people? what's good for them but to an extent we can measure that we can measure burnout rates we can measure mental health issues we can measure addictions to a mobile phone or whatever so it's something where we really need to do quite a lot to transform people's mindsets and in the end understand that sustainability is about making their life better and not worse washing so companies and other institutions pretending to be much greener much more sustainable than they are is a real growing phenomenon it goes very clearly together with this growing interest by stakeholders by consumers by employees by governments just by everyone really in making the world a better place and then being more sustainable and many companies in particular are trying to take the easy route by basically just communicating about sustainability and you, you find this in many companies the function for sustainability so sustainability teams are still embedded in the marketing or public relations or communications department and that already tells you how a company approaches sustainability whereas in companies companies where this is really top zero priority or it's in the innovation department that's sort of a different story so often this is about companies having really understood the importance of sustainability for their core business and companies that see sustainability only as sort of nice ads and Nature just makes my, my mind calm down. It gives me energy. It helps me focus on what's really important. And I indulge in nature with all my senses very actively, very consciously. And I really feel it does things to me that no app or beautiful piece of art or beautiful piece of interior design. And I, I say this being an absolute passionate person for interior design. And we have enough studies, of course, to show that I'm not the only one and, and how important nature is for your not only for your physical health but also for your mental health but this is something i want to leave people with that you know, if, if you notice that being in nature makes you feel more stable happy healthy that's not a coincidence it's because there's really this balance that our forefathers knew about already that we had to keep this we are actually we are part of nature it's not nature versus us we are part of it and i think this is really really important we hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.